Amen. Thank you, Kelly and Heather, for your music this morning. Good morning. My name is Mike Gary. I'm the pastor here at Communitas Church, and we exist to love God, to love people, and to build disciples through serving here in the Brainerd Lakes area and around the world. We'll talk about this a little bit more today, but uh, we worship uh, through gathering, just the very nature of our coming together in, in hopes to see and hear Jesus and follow more obediently with Him, uh, we worship. We have worshiped through singing, the proclamation of who God is and what He's done for us. Uh, we will, in a, in a little while, worship through the listening um, to the, the, the reading of, of His Word and the preaching. Yeah, but before we get into that, we're gonna, we worship through communion. And this is a, a sacred meal, not a, not a very robust banquet, but it's a sacred meal in the Christian church. And uh, we practice what is called open communion here, which means that if, if, you are, um, if you're not a member of Communitas, you are still invited to come to this meal so long as, as you are a follower of Jesus. That is to say that you, you understand, believe, have repented, and are, and are following the Lord. And if that is you, man, we are glad that you are here, and we, we hope that you'll join us at the table for this meal. And the way that we do this is, um, I'm going to read some words from Scripture, but this was a time that, uh, and this, this meal has, has been celebrated throughout the Christian church and throughout the world today, uh, very, various churches are going to take part in this meal. Uh, some do it weekly, some do it daily, some do it monthly, some do it twice a year, but all Christian churches celebrate this supper. And so by doing this, we join with other churches around the world in what God is doing to proclaim his, his liberation message, his resurrection song to a lost, dead, and dying world. And so we're going to take some time and we're going to reflect on, on who God is. We know that he's, we, we read in his word that, that he has made all that is seen and unseen, knit us together in our mother's womb, and intricately knows us. We read about Jesus and the way that He lived His life in perfect obedience to the Father. And we read about the Holy Spirit who comes and works within us that we might become more like Christ. And in a crowd this size, I'm not ignorant to the fact that there are some people in here where you're just going, i got no idea what this is. I just heard there was free coffee and someone dragged me here. So if, if that's you, we're glad that you're here. This is a safe people to be around and a, and a good people from whom to ask questions. And if you have questions, man, love to chat with you. Talk to one of the elders. Talk to Nick, who was up here earlier, or whatever else. Um, we'd love to help you sort some of that kind of stuff out. And for all of us, I'd encourage us in this time to be thinking about who's the Lord prompting us to serve. What are areas and who are people that that need to be encouraged? Um, as we think about our last week, maybe there's, maybe there's some people that have just stuck out where you go, gosh, I, I could really help them out. Um, you know, who are those people that the Lord just kind of keeps bringing to your mind? Or maybe as you think about your last week, you go, man, I, I totally blew it in this regard. And maybe you've got to go back and ask for forgiveness or admit that somebody offended you. And so I'd encourage you through this time to be thinking about how, what that's going to look like and, and be setting up specific times that you're going to make that happen. But for all of us, we're going to take some time in silence, and I know that you know as we hear, we've got little people, big people, and people that make noise sometimes voluntarily and sometimes involuntarily, and uh, that will not; those noises will not stymie the work of the Holy Spirit. And if if you're a parent here and you've got a kid that's making some noise, that's okay. We're not going to look at you weird because you have a kid that makes noise. Kids make noise. That's what happens. 
But so we're going to take some time in, in silence, and I would just encourage you to, to quiet your heart, to quiet your mind, to focus on God and who He is, to focus on Christ and what He's done, to listen for the, the, the Holy Spirit and what He's trying to do in and through your life. So we're going to take some time in silence, and as you're ready, come on forward. We've got the elements set out to the right and to the left. Go ahead and grab those elements, bring them back to your seat. And once everyone has gone through and done that, I'll read some words from Scripture, and we'll all participate of the meal together. So who is God, and what has He done? Who is Jesus, and how has He lived His life? And what is the Holy Spirit calling you to do in your life that you might look and live more like Jesus? The last time that Jesus was together with his friends. So imagine you, you know that uh, you're about to die and you gather your friends together for just one more meal, one more time together. So they're, they're there and he takes the bread and he breaks it. And he says to them, he says, take and eat. This is my body. And the meal lingered on and he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness and this meal that you call us to participate in, to remind us of that, that we may remember that we are with you and you are with us. Amen. Okay, at this time there are some buckets that are going to make their way around. Feel free to throw uh, the containers into those buckets, and we will dispose of them for you. At this time, Greg Fagrin is going to make his way on up to read the Scripture passage for us today. We're going to be in Matthew 27, starting in verse 45, heading through Matthew 28, verse 8. Uh, If you have a paper Bible, feel free to pull that out and flip to Matthew. If that is not an option that is available to you, Feel free to pull out your mobile device and tap swipe or do whatever you need to do to find the passage there. If neither of those are preferable to you, we do have the words on the screen behind us. Greg, whenever you're ready. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all of the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He is calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran up and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' people. When the centurion and those with them regarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As the evening approached, there came a rich man from the Arimathea named Joseph. He had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he had asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. 
Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled the big, big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Marys were sitting there opposite of the tomb. The next day, one of the preparation, of, after the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, uh, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order to the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went, along, went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know you, that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, and now I have told you. So the woman hurried away to the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Amen. Thank you, Greg. And thank you, Lord, for your word and how it has been preserved, that we're able to read it here freely without risk of any kind of government persecution. We pray for the church uh, throughout the world where that is not the case. And we pray that by your spirit, Lord, they would be emboldened and that we would be an encouragement and encouraged by their faith. Amen. Okay. Kids, it is good to see all of you here this morning. This is the part of the service where you head out toward that door. Over there, you see a, uh, a beautifully new uh, painted little landing over there. Looks very nice, thanks to Sandy and, and Jewel. Um, and so, Lord, we thank you for these kids. We pray for Rachel and Sandy and Heidi and Tim, and we thank you for your service uh, to your church. We know that spending time with kids is not a second-class operation and something that you took very seriously and continue to do in the life of your church. We pray that we as adults would exemplify what it is to follow you and grow these kids so that they look more and more like you. Amen. Uh, I have you ever been around like really just crazy smart people? Like I knew this guy that he wanted to write a, like a children's mathematics book, and he started telling me about it. And I was like 32 at the time, and I was totally lost. Like this guy was just brilliant, and uh, you know, I, mean, I, I I'm pretty sure he could even figure out how to divide by zero. Like it was just unbelievable. Um, his name was Alan and I, I met him. He was, he was a teacher and, uh, and he would always talk about his, you know, people would ask, well, Al, why do you teach? He's like, well, I, I teach because it's less expensive and I learn more, you know, and I don't know if, if you've ever taught somebody something, but you can have something that you just know how to do. And then you go to teach it to someone and you kind of go, Oh wait, yeah. How, how do I 
do this thing. It could be something that you do over and over and over again, but then you go to teach it to someone, and then it's really difficult, right? Has anyone else had this experience? Um, so I, I just was always struck by that. It's cheaper, and I learn more. Uh, so today in Matthew's Gospel, we're going we're gonna to read a little bit or hear a little bit about this, this unification of the church. Seeing, hearing, and following. How the church is unified through seeing, hearing, and following Jesus. So I want you to, for a moment to imagine that you're, you're Mary Magdalene. And if you're like super macho, you're a real macho guy, and you're like, I, I can't imagine that, just uh, pretend to empathize for a little bit. Just kind of, We'll work on our empathy skills a little bit. But, but I want you to just imagine that you're Mary Magdalene for a moment. right? So you've, you've followed Jesus down from, from Galilee. So Galilee to Jerusalem, it's about like walking from here to downtown Minneapolis. Okay, so you, you've walked down, um, and it, it's the Passover, so you wouldn't necessarily be alone, but, but you've been listening for a while. You've seen Jesus, you've seen his miracles, you've heard him proclaim this gospel of this kingdom that's coming, and, and you've been able to discern that, yeah, he's, he's gonna, what is going to happen, what he's saying is going to happen, is going to happen, he's going down to Jerusalem to die. And so while you're going down for a Passover, you understand that it's a new kind of Passover, and you're going down, not with the enthusiasm that the disciples have, they're going to take over and rule and reign as the Messiah, but with the endurance that comes through the Holy Spirit working in you and understanding what the kingdom of God is all about. And you have gone down in preparation for a new kind of Passover. You know that there's an ushering in of a new way of being, reticent of what we just celebrated through communion. And so you've you maybe witnessed the uh, the scene in the um, in the garden where Jesus is is betrayed by his disciples and taken away. You've maybe been at a distance and you've seen the crowds at that rigged trial where Jesus was pronounced guilty, and you were probably you were close by as as he walked through the town and was led up to the hill to be crucified. You. You're there and you, you see him dying. You can hear him gasping for breath. You hear the last words that he speaks. And I just gotta wonder, like, do you even notice the guy running up with the sour wine? Do you hear the crowds mocking Jesus? Or are you just in shock and awe and wonder but like what's going on? within you. And at last, Jesus dies. The veil of the temple is torn in two. And the soldiers use the same words they used to mock Jesus earlier that day to profess that he is truly the Son of God. But this isn't a new revelation to you, is it? This is merely a punctuation mark, a label put on something that has already been. Because this whole time that you've known Jesus, he's been flipping your life on your head, pronouncing this new kind of kingdom. The veil has always been torn. He has always been the Lord. He's been the one that has been the Lord of your life ever since you met him. You're here to see it through because you've been seeing and hearing Jesus and you're going to follow him. Where else could you go? You've seen him bring people back from the dead, feed starving people, and bring forgiveness. 
I just got to wonder, like, what was it like when, when Joseph comes up and asks for the body of Jesus, pays for the body of the man who paid for the sins of humanity? And, and what was it like for you when, when you heard of the leaders on the very Sabbath day that they accused Jesus of working on, of healing on, what was it like for you when, when you hear the leaders command others to work on the Sabbath by rolling a stone in front of a tomb and seeking to destroy the very Lord that they should have been looking for? I mean, did you think it was over at that moment? And Thomas Jefferson's Bible, so he, I mean, Jefferson was a guy that wrote a lot of pretty good words. He was also known for taking words out of the Bible. He would just kind of cut them or like paste over them. In Thomas Jefferson's version of Matthew, it ends at verse, verse 60. Chapter 27, verse 60. He laid in his own new tomb, which he had cut of the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. For Jefferson, that's, that's the end of the gospel. Kind of a crummy gospel, if you ask me. Um, Fortunately for us, though, Matthew continues to write. And we get Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, if you're Matthew, and you started writing your book with, with a genealogy, if you can remember, if you were here all the way back in the springtime when we started this, we read that Matthew starts with this big genealogy where, where he connects his book and comes in with this just thundering proclamation that, that Jesus is the one that the Old Testament has been talking about, that he is the fulfillment of the prophecies and the fulfillment of the law. And he, and he spends the, the first couple of chapters going through each of the, the Old Testament heroes and saying that these guys have been pointing to Jesus this entire time. So if you're Matthew and you spent your whole time talking about this and all of a sudden you say after the Sabbath if you're in the ancient Near East and you're one of the people of God you're reading this and you're you're starting to understand like oh this is this is a new day this isn't just a new day this is also a new kind of day this is a new era so you should imagine, like, what would it be like to be Mary going to the tomb? And we read about that, you know, so she's followed Jesus down from Galilee, taking that hundred or so mile walk. She's witnessed his betrayal, witnessed his death, witnessed him being put in the tomb. Like, so what does she do? So, so she and the other Mary, they go, I mean, like, do you pack a lunch? Like, or are you just in shock and awe, just feeling like you've been sucker punched? get a headache because you've been crying all night. And so you go to the tomb because you have no idea what else to do. You followed Jesus and now you just, you just go to where the last place you saw him and, and you're just there. And all of a sudden, the ground starts to shake. And next thing you know, the angel of the Lord is sitting on top of that stone. And he says, do not be afraid. Now, if, if you're going to your friend's gravesite and the angel of the Lord appears on top of the stone and tells you to do not be afraid, like, why is that? Right? Well, because if an earthquake just happened 
And the angel of the Lord appeared on a stone. Like, do you think that adrenaline would be surging through your brain at that moment? Like, grief is the furthest thing from your mind. Now it's, holy smokes, I hope I don't die. Fight or flight is a real thing at that moment. And so why does the angel of the Lord say, do not be afraid in this moment and in other moments throughout the scriptures? Because as Frederick Dale Bruner points out, fear monopolizes attention and paralyzes response. Fear monopolizes attention and paralyzes response. So we've been called to see, hear, and follow Jesus. And if we're afraid, how are we to follow? And so what does he do? He, he calms her down. And the men who were on the outside that were supposed to be a living become like dead men. And they roll the stone back and the man who was on the inside is gone because he's alive. And the angel of the Lord guides Mary in, shows her the tomb. Could you imagine that? Like, would that just not be, like, she calms her mind, or he calms her mind to blow her mind at the same time, which is like, yep, just come on in, check this out. Tomb is empty, for he has risen. Let's pick it up in, in 28, verse 7. It says, come see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I've told you. Like, how fast do you run at that moment? Right? Like, where do you go and find the disciples at that point? Like, I just couldn't imagine that. And so, what is Matthew trying to show us? In this, what are, what do we see in, in the passage that we're reading today? Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about the church scattered. If if you've spent some time in church, you may have heard of a term called the Great Commission. We're going to talk a little bit about that next week and how how the the church is called to go out into the nations and and proclaim the gospel. But this week, we're talking about the scattered and broken church being united. We see that at the cross of Jesus and as a result of the empty tomb, Gentiles, religious leaders, and followers of Jesus all starting to come together. And then we see that you know, and the, the angel of the Lord delivers this message to Mary and says, hey, go, go find the disciples. So these guys who were, you know, oh, Lord, well, you know, a couple weeks ago we read, like, oh, we'll never leave you. Well, they gone. They left. See you later. And, and so... And the angel of the Lord says, Mary, go out and find them. Bring them back. Remind them of this resurrection gospel that Jesus has risen. He is the Lord of their life. And that's our responsibility as, as the church, right? Like sometimes we, you know, we spend this time seeing and hearing and following Jesus, but sometimes we we forget what we've heard. And we forget what we've seen and we get afraid and we don't follow. Or we get distracted. And so I love that, uh, that Mary leaves quickly. Like I love this, like go quickly. And what does she do? Like, other disciples, you know, it takes them a little while. Mary's just like, okay, I'm gone. See ya. And we see immediate obedience. She's seen the empty tomb. She's heard 
the word of the angel. She's heard what the angel of the Lord has said, and she responds in faith and takes off. She doesn't set up an altar. Like, I mean, would you would you not want to like maybe commemorate that moment for a little bit? Like, like this is a turning point in history, is it not? I mean, global history, like thirty, you know, thirty three A.D. is kind of a big deal, and she's there. She's the first human witness to this massive cosmic event. Like, would you maybe not want to, you know, like selfie that, or uh, you know, like so back in the day they would set up tombs like those or like the Karens, like they'd stack up rocks. Maybe you've seen these out hiking. Like, would you maybe not want to do something to commemorate that? There's a a commentator who's uh, passed on named Matthew Henry, and he writes on this topic saying. Public usefulness to others must be preferred before the pleasure of secret communion with God ourselves. So public usefulness to others, so service, must be preferred before the pleasure of secret communion with God ourselves. So there's this temptation within all of us, and, and sometimes in the church, to, to you know, oh, we just, we just want to have this really sacred moment together. And, we, oh, we're just, and those are good. Like those, are, those can be strengthening times. The problem is that at that moment, Mary is having this real new era Sabbath moment. She's living in the fear and the peace and the joy of the Lord, whereas the disciples are are scattered and they're having a really tough time. And so the angel says, Man, you gotta you gotta get out there, you gotta help them see. You gotta you gotta proclaim this message so they can hear it. Because right now they're in fear and we need them to follow in faith. So before we tell to the gospel to the world, we have to tell it to ourselves. Us in this room, sitting next to one another. How do we proclaim the gospel to those in our midst? How do we proclaim the gospel to the ones here? So often we reduce the gospel to a message that's just merely about salvation. Just something, salvation becomes this thing that happens after we die. And, and the gospel gets reduced to this thing where we just say, oh, we're just going to, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to live my life. And, and if necessary, I'm going to use words. You ever heard that misquotation of St. Francis? You know, people say, oh, I'm going to, I preach the gospel always when necessary. I use words. See, Francis didn't live his life that way. Jesus didn't live his life that way, and thank God Mary didn't live her life that way because she knows that her brothers are hurting and broken and scared. And so she moves toward them in faithful obedience to the Father to bring them this message that Jesus is Lord and he is risen and they have new life in him and calls them to join with them. So as we think about, you know, during our time of communion, as we, as we sing songs, maybe the Lord has, has brought people to your mind where you're going, yeah, this person is, is hurting and, and they're lost. And they're, and they're a believer. Like it's, it's possible for us in the church to get confused. Like have you ever known how to do something and then forgotten how to do something? You know that we as humanity forgot how to make concrete for like a couple hundred years? Just forgot. You'd think that would have been something to, you know, like pretty foundational. Might want to hold on to that one a little bit. We forgot how to do it. And so with our Christian life, sometimes we forget how to do things. I mean, can you imagine being Peter? He saw Jesus transfigured. He was there with Moses and Elijah, and then, and then he bolts after the resurrection. 
Can you imagine seeing Mary Magdalene running toward you if you're Peter and hearing the words, yeah, our Lord and Savior is risen. Does that not start to change something deep within your soul? And have you ever been encouraged by, by someone in the faith that you know you just get bound up in some sin or you're, you're just confused, you've got something going on? Like, Is it not a joyful thing when someone comes to you and, and proclaims the gospel to you? Helps you to see Jesus for who He is and hear His words for what they say so you might follow more closely, live a life more fully. Sin always seeks to separate. Satan will always cause that, that doubt to rise, right? Like if we, if, if you, I'll just summarize the, the fall back in Genesis. The deceiver comes to, to Eve and says, well, does, did God really say that? Did you really hear that properly? Just take a look at this. Trying to get our eyes and our ears off of the Savior so that we don't walk in obedience. And then when we're not following, try to strike us with shame so that we're afraid to go to the very Savior who will give us faith. So who do you know or maybe you've been there. I've been there. I've had moments where I'm just like, I just, you know, like even as a follower, I just get kind of bound up and just didn't really want to do much with church and just wasn't going for a while. Just kind of wandering like the disciples. The good news is, is, is if that's you or that's someone that you know, they're not alone. There's these 12 apostles or these 11 apostles that were, they're right there with them. And you know what Jesus calls them? Friends. Disciples. There's hope for us in the resurrection. And so it's vital that we, we remember that ourselves and we teach that to one another. We remind ourselves and remind one another to remember the Jesus that we've seen and heard and have been called to follow. So where are you seeing Jesus in your life? What are you hearing in your prayers? Are there people that come to mind that you think, man, they've been walking, but they're, they're just having a tough time. Maybe they've, you know, they were part of a church and now they're just kind of wandering around. Man, encourage, like, engage those people. If, if, you, if one or two come to mind, and just this week, please, I encourage you, engage them in some type of conversation. Preferably face-to-face. You can give them a phone call, text them if you have to, shoot them an email, drop them a letter, whatever, but engage them in some way. Ask them to reconsider. Call the question, what's been barring them? What's been, what's been separating them from seeing, hearing, and following? And just spend some time praying for them out of the Word and, and show them the Word. And, and encourage them to, to go back to because we're, we're better when we're together. We're strengthened when when we're around one another and we're able to hear the gospel. So just encourage them to, I mean, if they're a part of a local church, encourage them to go back to that local church. If they don't have one, and bring them here. Because what's great about this is we, in this message, we already hear in the angel's words the beginning of reconciliation. Sometimes we think, oh, I've been away for a while. I've got this fear. I've got this shame. I can't, I can't go back. 
But what does the angel say? He says that Jesus will see you in Galilee. He's already there. He's preparing the table. He's inviting it. Forgiveness is already on the table, and he's inviting us to come. He's inviting us to come. And so if you want to walk more closely with the Lord, as Matthew Henry states, man, it's, it's not about stealing away and, and, and spending more time away from people. It's about encouraging one another, serving one another. So he says you want to love God, love people. So go and preach the gospel to others. Pray with me. Lord, we see in your word that when we see you and we hear you, it's far easier to follow you. And so, Lord, would you open our eyes to see you more clearly? Quiet our minds and set our hearts so that our ears can hear you more clearly. Holy Spirit, strengthen our steps that we would follow you in an obedience that is not of our grit, that is not out of our moral fortitude, but is the result of your growing within us your resurrecting word. The fact that you are our Lord and that you have risen. I'm very proud of you all. This has been a church over the last season that has done what Mary has sought to do. We have people here who showed up. Why? Because you invited them. Right? Like, we didn't send out a big mass flyer. I'm, I, I don't even know how to use our, our email system very well. But people told other people about what was happening here. And you showed up. And then you invited your neighbor. So as we continue in this rhythm of gathering and scattering, may you continue to see, hear, and follow Jesus and proclaim to your neighbors to your friends, to your co-workers, to those whom the Lord has put in your life, that Jesus is Lord and that he is risen. Go in peace.